You're tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. on this Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. I'm Claudio Mendoza, and it's time for the evening news. Joyce Miller has the day off. Will sports gambling come to California? The gambling industry has set its sights on the Golden State, where sports betting is not currently legal. Seeing billions in potential profits, the industry is trying to use the state's ballot initiative to legalize the practice next year. The California Report takes a look at the spread of sports betting in the United States and what's at stake in that battle for California. We'll look at regional news and weather before a conversation with Jesse Wilson, Nevada County's current district attorney. And Mark Cunaberti shares his thoughts on the turbulent but skyward trend of the stock market. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in a very rainy Los Angeles. Starting tomorrow, Californians everywhere in the state will once again have to wear masks indoors at all public places, regardless of their vaccination status. It's a response to a recent spike in COVID cases and public health officials trying to get a handle on the fast-moving Omicron variant. With more, here's KQED health correspondent April Domboski. Since Thanksgiving, California has seen a 47 percent increase in COVID case rates. Counties in rural parts of the state that have lower vaccination rates are getting hit harder than L.A. and the Bay Area. State Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Mark Galley says California needs to act now before hospitals get overwhelmed. We know people are tired and hungry for normalcy. Frankly, I am, too. That said, this is a critical time where we have a tool that we know has worked and can work. Galley says about half of Californians live in counties that have their own mask mandates already. This new statewide rule will cover the other half. For the California Report, I'm April Dimboski. Along with the mask mandate, the new health order also has new rules for indoor mega events. Those are gatherings of more than 10,000 people. Before, guests were allowed to show a recent negative COVID-19 test result that was as much as 72 hours old. Now, those in attendance will have to show a more recent negative test within two days if it's a PCR test or one day if it's a rapid antigen test. The state is also recommending but not requiring that masks be worn at large outdoor gatherings of more than 10,000 people, such as concerts and sporting events. And state health officials are recommending that anyone who is returning or traveling to California from out of state get tested for COVID-19 within three to five days of their arrival. Feeling lucky? Well, let's turn to gambling in the Golden State. California isn't Vegas or Reno or Atlantic City, but there are still plenty of places and ways to legally make a bet here. Tribal casinos, card clubs, racetracks, and of course, the now more than three-decade-old California lottery. Have you seen the current Powerball jackpot? Wow, here's how to play. But with the exception of horse racing, you still can't legally wager on sports in California. Whether that sport is played on the gridiron. Touchdown LA, 79 yards. The back nine. 210 yards with a hybrid. Two bounces and in for the one. Or the ballpark. Driven to center field. Ball game over. But legal sports betting could soon become a reality in California, and it's all because of a landmark court ruling made back in 2018. 
Breaking news to Supreme Court this morning, striking down the federal ban on sports betting. Now it leaves it up to the states. Our Jessica Since that Supreme Court decision, more than two dozen states have started some form of legalized sports gambling, with many celebrities like actor Jamie Foxx serving as pitchmen for different sports betting, also called sports book companies. You want to make every game interesting? Step one, open the BetMGM Sportsbook. Step two, put some skin in the game. And step three, showtime. Now the gambling industry has its attention squarely focused on California, and it's trying to use the state's ballot initiative process to make sports betting legal here next year. But there are rival factions in the industry, each backing its own legalization proposal. They include tribal casinos and racetracks, card clubs, and such popular fantasy sports sites as FanDuel and DraftKings. One proposal, which is already qualified for the ballot, would require in-person wagering at reservation casinos and racetracks. Others, like one bankrolled by the sports sites, would legalize mobile betting, letting people place their wagers using their smartphones. Download the app, sign up with the promo code, and make it rain. Industry watchers say they don't know which proposal will finally prevail, but they have little doubt that it won't be long until legal sports gambling is a reality in California. Oh, sure. It's not only coming, it's going to be coming pretty soon. That's I. Nelson Rose, a professor emeritus at Whittier College and an expert on gambling law and public policy. Rose says California is just too lucrative of a market for the sports gambling industry to ignore. The estimate for California is that it could be 20 or 30 billion dollars in wagers a year. To cultivate public and political support for sports betting, all of the gambling interests bankrolling different proposals are promising a tax revenue windfall for the state that they say will be used to fund social programs. For us, it's all about homelessness dollars. That's Long Beach Mayor Robert Garcia. He's joined the mayors of Oakland, Sacramento, and Fresno to support one sports betting proposal that promises to use profits to help the state's unhoused. When we heard that uh, this initiative was looking at putting dollars into homelessness ongoing for services and that cities would get substantial uh, revenue, I think a lot of the mayors were like very interested in this. That's what matters to you. 100%. That's the game changer for cities. But some gambling industry analysts like I. Nelson Rose advocate caution. They say legalized sports betting could also create problems like fueling gambling addiction, especially if easy-to-use mobile wagering becomes legal in the state. Personally, I think that gambling has a lot of risk factors for a lot of people, and I would like to see it more difficult to make a wager as opposed to it getting easier and easier. I think there were a lot less problems for society when you had a drive across the desert to Las Vegas. With no irony, the gambling industry says revenue from California sports betting operations could also be used to fund gambling addiction programs in the state. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. PaintCare. Now, with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, 
focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at SchmidtFutures.com. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, December 14th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. The Nevada County Board of Supervisors today unanimously approved a contract to conduct an independent economic study on the proposed Idaho-Maryland mine project. Quote, the study will focus on the direct and indirect impacts of the proposed project on our community. That from CEO Allison Lehman in a news release. Quote, by doing an independent study, our board will have all the information to make an informed decision in addition to the information that comes from the environmental review process. The proposed project is a combined application for a conditional use permit and reclamation plan to reinitiate underground mining and gold mineralization processing and is currently in the environmental review process. A draft environmental impact report hasn't yet been released. The independent study will be prepared by Robert D. Niehaus, Incorporated, and will focus on determining estimated direct, indirect, and induced impacts of the project on Nevada County. The supervisors today also unanimously approved the selection of Dr. Sherilyn Cook to serve as Nevada County's health officer beginning January 1, 2022. Dr. Cook will retire from a position at Kaiser to take the Nevada County job and has an 18-month contract. She has an MD from Stanford and a Master's of Public Health from UCLA. She specializes in internal medicine and has worked in public health and primary care medicine. She replaces Dr. Scott Kellerman, who agreed to serve as Nevada County's interim health officer through the end of this year. A retired San Francisco police lieutenant is the new Nevada City police chief. He's Tim Foley, who has come here with over 33 years of experience in law enforcement. That includes being acting commander at the Regional Police Academy, as well as several district stations within the city, and was the officer in charge of the professional development section of the San Francisco Police Department. He also was active in community outreach programs to the homeless, mental illness, and other social issues. Foley's appointment was announced by City Manager David Brennan at the Nevada City Council meeting last night. A transition from the interim chief, Scott Berry, to Foley takes place over the next six weeks, with Chief Foley starting full-time at the beginning of February 2022. Nevada County and Sarah Roots will open an emergency shelter for the homeless tonight with COVID-19 safety measures in place. It opened at 4.30 this afternoon and will close tomorrow morning at 7.30, and it's at a different location, the Madeline Helling Library Community Room at the Root Center at 980 Helling Way, Nevada City. Information can be had by dialing 211 or 1-844-319-4119. Turning now to the weather, the National Weather Service says there's a slight chance of snow between 4 and 5 a.m. tomorrow here in Nevada City and in Grass Valley with an overnight low of just 25 degrees. Tomorrow, snow mainly after 11 a.m. Snow could be heavy at times. A high will be near 30. In Sacramento and Woodland, low 38 tonight. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a chance of rain and a high of 47 degrees. And in Truckee Tahoe, areas of freezing fog later tonight into the early morning with a low overnight of 3 degrees. Tomorrow, snow likely, a high of 31.
Next up, Felton Pruitt talks with Jesse Wilson, Nevada County's current district attorney. We're talking with Nevada County District Attorney Jesse Wilson, who has announced that he's going to be running for re-election next year. And also, uh, the district attorney's office has a new project coming out called Project Lead. So, uh, Jesse, thanks for spending some time with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. First of all, you're going to run for re-election. How long have you been our district attorney? I was appointed on June 8th of 2021, so earlier this year. And I took the position on, I believe it was July 12th was my first day, although it could have been July 11th officially. Now, you were working, what, in another county before this? That's correct. My first job at a law school was, or my first internship at a prosecutor's office was here in Nevada County, where I spent a couple years as an intern and uh, turned that into a a full-time job where I got my first opportunity as a prosecutor and spent several years here um, handling different caseloads. And then most recently, I followed a a former boss here in Nevada County over to El Dorado County, where I was handling serious and violent felonies over there, and in particular, the sexual assault caseload. And I was doing that uh, for the last couple years before coming back here to Nevada County um, to take this position. What got you into law enforcement in the first place? It's a daunting task, which you've undertaken. What, What were your motivations? Well, I've always been interested in the law. I've always been interested in helping people. I didn't know when I first went to law school exactly where my course would lead me. But again, in seeking some fulfilling career in the law, I was able to secure the opportunity to be an intern in a DA's office. And I didn't have a whole lot of experience, one, with any other lawyers in my family. Um, I do have some law enforcement, but that was my first job in a legal office. And um, I immediately fell in love with it. I I immediately fell in love with the idea of wearing the white hat, being able to um, have direct impact into people's lives, to be able to deal with um, people who are, um, you know, have been victimized by crime um, and try to do everything I can uh, to try to help them. So it was something that I fell in love with pretty soon after um, just getting a taste of it. And you've instigated something coming up called Project LEAD. Why don't you explain to folks what that is? Sure. Project LEAD is an extremely exciting program. Being in the role of district attorney is different than just being, or just different from being a prosecutor in that, you know, it's um, my position that we need to be much more involved in the community and a leader in the community in, in various ways outside of just focusing on the prosecution of criminal cases. And and one of those opportunities is with Project LEAD. Project LEAD is a program that was, it was in the early 90s, I think was when it was first launched down in Southern California. Um, It's an evidence-based program that specifically tries to target an age group that is one, sophisticated enough to deal and grapple with some of the issues surrounding the criminal justice system, but also young enough to still be at an age where they're, you know, not too jaded or, or hardened by the world, and they're still willing to accept things and make changes and, and, and real impact can be made. So that's why this particular program is targeted at fifth graders. Um, that's what Project Lead is. It goes in and, and will bring in prosecutors and members of law enforcement for 10 to 12 weeks on a weekly basis for an hour a week, and they uh, present different curriculums in the form of skits, role-playing, and all these kind of interactive-type scenarios where these fifth graders get to interact with law enforcement, get to interact with issues that's relevant to their lives, and it's certainly going to be relative to the um, next several years of their lives, whether it's 
peer pressure, bullying, drugs, low-level crimes, this sort of thing. And it's just really structured around allowing them to make good decisions and encouraging them to make good decisions and not just um, in general, but under pretty difficult circumstances um, that kids face these days. So it's, it's an extremely exciting program. I've been involved in it as an instructor, and it was, um, you know, it just real good feedback from the students. It was extremely rewarding for myself. And uh, it's just something that we can do as a district attorney's office in order to proactively um, reach out to the community and not just wait for crimes to be committed, but try to insert ourselves in places where we can uh, work to prevent crimes from happening in the first place. I have to say that I've been very impressed with the the way Nevada County law enforcement is approaching their task right now. Uh, I did an interview with uh, Sheriff Moon about six months ago where they were partnering with Hospitality House to learn new techniques to interact with the homeless and people during domestic disputes. And this seems like just another step in that same direction of, instead of dealing with the folks after they've committed a crime, let's find a way to make it so they don't even want to commit a crime. Exactly. I mean, I think that's a pretty succinct way to, way to describe it. And, you know, and, and these, these methods that we're pursuing, this is not something that just something that just sounds good or feels good, right? It's something that has been done and it's backed up by, like I said, evidence-based um, research has been done on these different areas to show that it is a effective way. And in the end, I mean, what is our job? Our, the fundamental job of my office is to protect the community. So we are doing these things, again, to, to help the community, but also because the end result is creating a better community and a safer community. How well-staffed is the district attorney's office? I mean, do you have enough folks to handle your demand right now? We could always use more. We have a lot of hardworking individuals that, you know, work very hard in, in their respective capacities, whether it's support staff. We have a team of investigators. We have victim advocates. We have prosecutors. You know, we have about 29 full-time employees that make up, you know, I think there's 11 attorneys, including myself, six investigators, two full-time victim advocates, two part-time victim advocates, and then a a slew of support staff that are invaluable to what we do. So uh, we work hard. Everyone in the office works hard. We're working to get the job done. And, And I think, you know, one of the goals of the office is to be fully staffed. And I think come February 1st of next year, we have one additional part-time attorney position that will handle the collaborative courts, so some of these specialty courts like adult drug court, mental health court, veterans court, and that position has been vacant for um, a very long time, and we're excited to um, currently be in the process of filling that position. So we'll be fully staffed, and we're confident that we'll be able to meet our objectives. We've been talking with Nevada County District Attorney Jesse Wilson. And uh, we've been also uh, talking about a new project, Project LEAD, which looks like it's going to be very uh, productive for our community. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, Jesse, and we look forward to talking with you more uh, as more issues come up. Hey, I appreciate the time, and I look forward to it as well. Finally, we close with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Two-thirds of the nation think the economy is being mishandled. That from DailyReckoning.com. If we keep going as it has been, it might be soon four-fifths of the nation 
wasn't long ago when President Trump was in office, where half the nation's populace thought the country was being mishandled, and now it's the economy. It's probably a different half of the people thinking the economy is in the toilet, like falling across the party lines, I would imagine. It's almost as if it's the left versus the right, no matter what the issue. Certainly a sad state of affairs, if that is indeed true. Seems like half of us can't agree with the other half. The economy indeed has some new problems, such as inflation, an odd unemployment available job mismatch and a supply shortage issue, whereas some were complaining about the lack of a living wage and income equality back then. Not that those have been solved, mind you. Indeed, they may be worse than ever, but now with rising inflation and the majority of businesses looking for staff and also while looking at empty store shelves, the economy is bending under the weight of all of it. The stock market doesn't seem to care, however, continuing its stratospheric ascent. Not that it hasn't had its hiccups along the way. I've written more than a few musings about the bipolar back-and-forth behavior of stocks, making investors and advisors alike scratch their heads as they try and figure out why one sector is getting cream while another sector might be rising, all the while reversing direction seemingly the next day or so. It's almost like the market is reflecting the general mood of the nation's inhabitants, which is to say, let's go left. No, wait a minute, let's turn right. No, let's just stand here and think about it. I can't say this is the only time I have witnessed crazy behavior in the stock market and in our economy, but I must admit it's certainly one of the craziest few years I've seen in a long while. In such turbulent times where little makes sense and forecasting a future market direction is seemingly impossible due to its irrational behavior, it's sometimes best to just lighten up, take some risk off the table, and sit back and watch the show instead of being a reluctant participant in it. After all, we're talking about one's retirement savings here, and Mr. Market would just love the opportunity to take some of it. It is said the market's job is to fool the most people at the most inopportune time when most people don't expect it. That said, one certainly gets the feeling, at least right now, that there are many more people wondering what the heck is happening in the markets, and indeed the world, than those that feel all warm and fuzzy about what's in our future. I don't know what the new year will bring, and neither does anyone else, but I suspect at least a few things may already be baked into the proverbial cake here. Inflation will likely not go away. Indeed, I think it's going to get a lot worse, and if that happens, it will cause the feds to have no choice but to raise interest rates, which will then cause the markets to throw a hissy fit, resulting in at least some sort of scary moments for many investors. Contrary to what some might believe, however, markets, once they have digested the initial interest rate increases, have historical precedent that reveals some upward trajectories follow these interest rate increases. Just think of rising rates as medicine for inflation, which eventually may improve the economy's overall health and well-being. This may translate into higher stock prices in late 2022 or beyond, although no one can predict which way the markets will go. It's sort of like clouds indicating a chance of rain. Certain symptoms and events occurring could now lead to changing economic weather ahead, which will likely add even more uncertainty to an already certain market. That does it for today's Money Matters. The views and opinions expressed are not to be considered as individual investment advice and only my opinions and not the opinions of this radio station and staff management or underwriters. I hold California Insurance License OL34249 and am a Medicare agent approved in the state of California. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com. Everything is free there. It's our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name is Mark Kuniberg. That wraps our newscast for this snowy Tuesday evening. Want to hear it again? 
You can find past broadcasts and extended versions of our interviews on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from listeners just like you and from the Center for the Arts, presenting the annual Holiday Makers Mart, December 18th and 19th, for last-minute shopping needs. More information for upcoming events at thecenterforthearts.org. And Sierra E-Bike, family-owned, community-oriented, complete electric bike resource serving Northern California, providing sales, test rides, demos, and bike rentals Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30 in Penn Valley's Holiday Market Center, sierraebike.com. Stick around. Coming up at 6.30, it's Food Sleuth. Tonight, host and registered dietitian Melinda Hemmelgarn talks with Beth Hoffman, journalist and author of Bet the Farm, Dollars and Cents of Growing Food in America. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Stay warm and stay safe. Thank you.